you may have noticed in the past couple of weeks that there is a lot of anxiety and tension in the air. And you may also have noticed that when we get tense or anxious, we'll frequently look around for someone to blame for the fact we don't feel very good. And we'll often look for allies in the blaming. And so in anxious times, wherever people gather, whether that's at school or in the office, there's a lot more gossip about people who aren't present than normal, and frequently someone will be victimized in ways large or small, whether they know it or not. Every gathering I've been a part of in recent weeks has had some conversation about the extraordinary meltdown of our financial systems, along with attendant worry about job security and pensions and general belt tightening all around. I rarely watch television, but I see the news channels when I'm at the gym, and even the so-called human interest stories seem to have an angle that is about the economy. It is everywhere, and, and we are living in, in, anxious, in anxious times, uh, and it affects all of us in ways we don't even know sometimes is going on. Well, in Jesus' day, it was the religious authorities that were anxious. They were in an age of considerable religious foment, some of it centered around the growing popularity of a country rabbi called something like Joshua bar Joseph. And so predictably, those authorities plotted to entrap him in what he said. They set about building an unlikely coalition with the Herodians, a group that we might identify as a competing political party. And they ganged up on Jesus, and they sought to trap him in the hopes of getting him to say something incendiary, something revolutionary, something that would make him vulnerable to prosecution by the Romans. And they go after him on the grounds of allegiance. I say, Jesus, we can't really tell. We know you're basically a good chap, but are you allied with Rome or are you allied with the revolutionaries? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? There's a fair amount of current scholarship that sets Jesus over against the emperor, over against Caesar. As we've heard from John Dominic Crossum and Marcus Borg in the Woodall lectures of recent years, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was contrasted with the entry of military power through another gate. And these two will doubtless strike the same themes when they are here together this December, when they consider, will consider the first Christmas. But here's the thing. The reign of Caesar and the reign of God are contrasted with one another, but they are not opposite and equal realms. The reign or kingdom of God is not simply an alternative transnational power and a threat to Caesar in terms of military uh, supremacy. The reign of God is completely different, completely different order, as Jesus makes clear again in today's gospel. The Herodians and the Pharisees are seeking to trap Jesus into sedition by getting him to oppose himself to the emperor by joining with some of the Jewish rebels who refused to pay taxes to a foreign power, probably including Jesus, Judas Iscariot, whose name places him in a Jewish resistance movement. But Jesus confounds them. Jesus doesn't buy into this two-kingdom thing. He amazes them when he points out Caesar's head on a coin and says, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Now, many a Christian preacher has fallen into the trap that the Pharisees and the Herodians set for Jesus by assuming that these two realms are somehow opposite and equal, or perhaps partners or opponents in this world, religion and politics, church and state and so on. 
And the message then becomes, and it particularly becomes so at this time of the year when churches are doing stewardship campaigns are underway and, and sermons are often called in private the Sermon on the Amount. And <laughs> the, the, message becomes, the message becomes pay your taxes, certainly, but also pay your tithes. Give to Caesar, certainly, but you have no less an obligation to the church. But what amazed those who heard Jesus was that he did not fall into that two-kingdom trap. What Jesus did was to show the two realms were completely different from each other. In the realm of Caesar, relationships are those of power and the power to enforce transactions. The price of peace is accepting your status as a vassal state or occupied country, paying your taxes and not making trouble for those charged with keeping that peace. And then you'll be sort of left alone. What we owe to Caesar is clear, but what are the things that are rightfully God's when we really think about it? What can we possibly offer to God? Because in the realm of God, the only currency that is of any real value is real relationship, real engagement, and all the things that make for real freedom in the end, and for which money can never be a substitute. The only thing that we have to offer God is ourselves. The only thing that we really have to offer before God is ourselves. In the realm of God, it means that all of our spiritual practice is more in the nature of self-offering than it is law. And so any giving we do is more self-offering than religious obligation. It's not pay taxes to Caesar, pay tithes to church. It's a different kind of thing that we do, for we know that it is in giving that we receive. Any sense in which we make a sacrifice, even one of praise and thanksgiving, is more self-offering than it is a mechanism for atonement. More self-offering than a transaction that secures our salvation. So any time that we practice generosity, we do so because we know that our self-offering is the most liberating way to live. And that we know that when we are in God's care, we do not have to be anxious. And when we know that we are loved so we can face anything that life might throw our way. In the past, I've shared a personal spiritual practice with you that whenever I found myself becoming anxious, however fleetingly about money, I'd make a gift of some sort. It might be a dollar to someone on the street or it might be buying someone a bunch of flowers or it might be writing a check to covenant community, whatever it is. Just something that reminds me when I'm anxious of the generosity that I've received and which helps me live into the freedom that I and we have been promised in Christ. Now, in recent years, I haven't been so worried about money, and so I've fallen away a little from that practice until the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about that practice all over again as we hear about the markets, and I find myself wondering what gifts are going to be released to fund the ministries of this parish and what it will be to respond in faith in a year when many of us will doubtless feel the need to reduce giving. What do you do? What practices help you remember what is of true and ultimate worth in those times when you are anxious and when you are afraid, particularly when you're anxious about money? Yes, we must be sensible with all that's been entrusted to our care. But I hope that every one of you will think of your practice of giving and giving generously 
as part of what it means to give to God what is God's. I hope you'll think that way because such offering is enormously important for your life. It's part of the way that God shapes you to be the person you were created to be. It's part of the way in which practicing generosity we are freed to live more generously. And more than that, I hope you'll remember that even now, even in the midst of the realm of Caesar, we are also in a different order. We are in the realm of this new humanity, the redeemed people of God, who enjoy the promise that we need not be anxious about the morrow. And even more than that, I hope you'll remember that you're part of a community of faith and that others in this community are more anxious, maybe, and more afraid than you are. And if you have the means to be even more generous than usual when you're responding with your committed pledges of giving, you will be carrying, almost certainly carrying, a brother or sister who is hurting and struggling and probably more afraid than you are. This kind of giving is not transaction backed by power. It's not religious obligation. It's not a tax such as we pay to those in the kingdoms of this world. This is rendering unto God the things that are God's, our own selves in love for others, and selves who are determined to live free, to live without anxiety as the people we were created to be. So let us as ever respond to the gospel in prayer, remembering that we are loved and asking courage to live without anxiety and anxious days, practicing generosity whenever we find ourselves succumbing to the tensions of this world. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.